Every day we are bombarded with notifications and updates. We are constantly connected. For our generation, it's been like this since middle school. I'm able to like see what my friends are doing. Just sending pictures of like your face or where you are. I have friends all over the world that I can communicate with. You can see the whole world through one app. We are always connected, but at the same time, we are more isolated than ever. I think it takes away from legitimate social interaction. It definitely makes me compare my life to other people's. They have really cool pictures and make me feel bad about my own life. It's not an actual reflection of your real life. I think it's more just what you want to show people. I feel like it's distracting. It does take up a lot of my time. Follow along with us as we explore why our generation is so attached to social media. Put your AirPods in. We're keeping your streaks alive with society. Welcome to episode three of Gen ZT with Mariel Gorsuch and Jane Merle. And for those of you who don't know, T is Gen Z slang for the inside scoop. And we're about to spill the hottest tea, so don't burn yourself. All of Generation Z receives news, no matter its credibility, through the internet. Our phones provide us with news stories, and we subscribe to news sources through our emails. I have a news app on my phone that gives me daily updates for anything news-related. I usually get news on my phone. I get the New York Times to my email. I also get the Morning Brew to my email, which is like a business newsletter. I receive emails from CNN and New York Times every day. Social media platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube offer news updates too. Snapchat gives you like news snippets, so I look at those also. Sometimes I'll see it on social media like Instagram. And then there's the old school approach of keeping up with the news, TV and the bygone newspaper. I receive my political news through TV, watch news every once in a while, and Aspen Times. But usually, yeah, it's on the TV. We receive political news through a multitude of different platforms, and yet we are still the least likely age group to vote. For many Gen Zers, including Jane and I, this election is the first time in our lives we'll be able to vote for our president, and there's a lot of speculation about whether or not we'll take advantage of this opportunity. A generation of post-millennials is poised to enter the electorate as perhaps the most liberal age cohort ever, fueled by unprecedented diversity and expansive views of the role of government. Will heated rhetoric draw them to the polls or turn them off? Savannah, you talked to a lot of the, the kids. Do you feel like they were really engaged in the political process? Did they feel like they belonged to a party or were they kind of going on their own way? So that's interesting. A lot of them are more willing to try to find middle ground. They are not interested in the tribalism. It kind of freaks them out. Millennials and the generation behind them now that is coming of voting age, Generation Z, they hold so much power in our electoral process and I don't think they understand just how much power they have. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, young adults have had the worst voter turnout of any age group in every election since they began keeping track of voter age in the 60s and 70s. But this historical trend seems to be changing. Gen Z was responsible for 4.5 million votes in the recent midterms, and together with millennials and Gen X, we outvoted older generations in both the 2016 election and the 2018 midterms, according to the Pew Research Center. What effects do technology and social media have on the politics of Gen Z? Do Gen Zers even absorb the political news they're constantly bombarded with on their iPhones? If so, are we motivated to use the information to become more politically involved? Mariel and I were curious to uncover the answers to these questions, so we set out to find a Gen Zer who is willing to give us their two cents 
on how our generation engages in politics. My name is Leslie Hernandez. I'm from New York, uh, specifically Queens, but I go to school in East Harlem. Leslie is 17 years old and is extremely politically involved for a junior in high school. I grew up in a pretty diverse community called Jackson Heights, where we have so many different people from different communities, so many different foods, really cool restaurants. And I think that sort of played into like who I am because I love meeting new people from different backgrounds. We interviewed Leslie at the Colorado Rocky Mountain School in Carbondale, just days before her graduation from her third year at HS Squared a summer program for high-achieving 10th through 12th graders from underserved communities. We met her right next to the tennis courts, and we walked through these luscious green grass fields to the library, a quiet place. And we started asking Leslie all these political questions, and I swear, Jane and I have never met anyone as educated as her when it comes to politics. Like, she had it going on, and it was a really great interview. For Leslie, politics and social justice are not highbrow issues reserved for the elite. They are real and personal. My passion for like social justice began when I started to see the increased violence in my own community, mostly gang-related, but there weren't really outlets that I could use right, to start implementing change, you know, to help out my own community. Leslie knew she didn't have the power to solve these problems on her own, so she joined her school's social justice club. I was with kids who shared the same passion and we would go to like different protests, march for our lives. We protested for the opioid crisis. We advocated for many nonprofit organizations that helped out immigrants living in the projects of East Harlem. It wasn't until last year though that she realized her enthusiasm for politics and social justice could lead to real change in her own community. AOC was running in my neighborhood basically for my community and that's when like I was at a pretty decent level of passion and then when I saw her running I feel like that passion soared because um, I finally saw someone who basically looked like me, had the same background as me, came from a similar family. At age 29, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, aka AOC, as Leslie and many others call her, became the youngest woman ever elected to the U.S. Congress. And yeah, and I saw the way that she just her intentions were like so pure to like help the community out and she finally was gonna be the way for, for the people living in my neighborhood to have a voice. Leslie has another year before she's old enough to cast her ballot, but she knows firsthand that the right to vote is not something to be taken for granted. I have people in my family who unfortunately don't have the right to vote and who, who strongly like, oh, if they had the vote, they would just go even to like, not just the presidential election, but electing our representatives, electing new members in non on local state offices. And when I come of age, that is definitely something I would love to do. While Leslie can't force her older peers to vote, she told us she'll do her best to remind them how important it is. I will definitely be someone who is very assistant and encouraging them to, because again, you know, there are many people who believe, you know, what's the point in voting? Because sometimes, you know, they think that there is no power when it comes to voting. But I, I seem to disagree very strongly. I feel like that mentality is the reason why we have the person that we have today in our in office. When we asked her why she thinks so many young people don't believe in the power of voting, Leslie had some great insights. Probably people in their own families don't vote. And so I think right off the bat, if you don't know somebody who personally votes, you're not encouraged to vote. 
But Leslie thinks a bigger problem has to do with our current political climate. You just see in today's politics that our own voices currently aren't being heard. Yeah, I just think that right now the youth doesn't have a lot of hope in what we're seeing in politics because there's always so much arguing and if for once we just like stopped and be like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, let's talk and maybe make some like bipartisan policies instead of just like refusing to see the other side and not compromising at all. When it comes to Gen Z, Leslie put it perfectly. Some of us are like super aware, but also some of us are more invested in like pop culture than we are in today's current events and like important things that are going on around us. Mariel and I agree, we are politically aware, but we're also really into the latest celebrity gossip and the hottest Netflix series. I think we get a lot of grief for constantly looking at our phones and being on social media. But for some of us, I think we feel it's a better use of our time than trying to keep up to date with Trump's one million tweets. The president attacked the congresswomen in a series of tweets, writing, quote, So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe. He added that they should leave to go back to where they came from. President Trump defending his tweets targeting four progressive Democrats of color. Today tweeting, these tweets were not racist. President Trump just tweeted about the extreme cold slamming more than 17 million Americans tonight. But... Here's the breaking part. His tweet also mocked the science of climate change. President Trump forced to respond to concerns that he tweeted to the world a classified satellite image. Trump tweeting that the impeachment inquiry is without due process or fairness or any legal rights as he urged Republicans to remember this in the future. And which of the 20 Democratic presidential candidates said what on the debate stage? We will not defeat Trump unless we have the courage to take on the powerful corporate interests. There is no national security when we don't have racial justice, let alone when we have a president who is coddling white nationalists. So we're not gonna buy what he's trying to sell because we know dude gotta go. I mean, where do we even begin? There's just too much to keep up with to the point where it's just like, nah, I'm just gonna like not even bother it. This mindset has made it tough for politicians to reach the youth. So now we're seeing more presidential candidates and political activists trying to reach us on our own stomping grounds, social media. Personally, when I see somebody who is just like, shares the same passion for the same things I do, and they are a famous person, like, I just relate to them so much more. And I feel like they are also on a platform that we might not be on. And so they can bring attention to certain things that we sometimes may not be able to. So I think that that's definitely important, but that platform should also be used in the correct manner. The youth definitely recognizes that politicians and famous people are using social media as a way to communicate with them. And when this tool is used in an inclusive way, it can really unite younger generations. But then there are also ways where it's just like people who want to instigate. For example, Trump, when he said that very terrible comment about our four congresswomen like AOC, Ayanna Presley, Representative Omar. Those are things that should never ever be said, especially when we, this is a time and age when we finally have women in office, they should be supported and not pushed down and like in such a negative way where they are told to go back to their own countries. As Leslie pointed out, there's a fine line between using social media to promote the causes you believe in and using it to portray people whose beliefs you disagree with in a negative and harmful way. And that line is constantly being crossed by politicians. I don't think that, you know, a lot of the 
things that are posted on social media should be. I think that those things should be left to conversation more in person. So what impact does social media have on our generation's politics? Despite the fact that social media can be used to spread awareness and increase engagement in important issues, Leslie isn't convinced that the pros outweigh the cons. It definitely sparks more tension that we definitely don't need. Even my grandma, who isn't on social media, has noticed an increase in hostility in modern politics. People are grumpy and unhappy about things when they shouldn't. There should be no reason for them to be that way. Just within the last two years. And honestly, we aren't interested in this tension. As Gen Zers, I think we are just sick of the nonstop arguments and hostility between the political parties. As Leslie said, People have their own opinions and those opinions should be respected. What happened to the world where we could simply ask each other honest questions and talk about controversial topics without resorting to insults or worse? Jane and I had many unanswered questions, so we thought we'd try to get someone in the political field to spill the tea. Enter former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. We managed to get an interview with Hickenlooper during his 2020 presidential campaign this summer. Our conversation was taped in front of a live audience at the R. Carter Gallery in downtown Aspen. You guys can come in closer, but not too close. We grilled Governor Hickenlooper in an effort to discover what techniques he was using to try and connect with our generation. I am trying to become more conscious and more, just make myself more intentional about my use of social media. Because I do have lots of idiosyncrasies and things that people find amusing and sometimes even heartwarming. <laughs> but I was raised not to, you know, you don't go out and talk about yourself all the time. Lord knows you're not going to go out and blast pictures of yourself. So I think that's something that I've got to be conscious of and how do I do that in a, in a way that feels, you know, authentic to me and, and fresh. It was so much posting and so much media, I think that notion of, of saying things freshly again is crucial. As the father of a Gen Zer himself, Governor Hickenlooper is actually pretty savvy on social media. My son Teddy, who's 17, yeah. uh, and he's a Zer if there ever was one. And so I actually track uh, on, on a little app how, how often he's in the screen. But even he hasn't cracked the code on getting our generation to vote. Obviously that's a mystery so far, but I, we have worked very hard over the last three or four years, five years, recognizing that so many of, the, of Generation Z don't like the vicious partisanship, right? The Republican-Democratic yeah. battles. For better or worse, President Trump has had arguably the most success using social media of any politician in history. So we asked Hickenlooper what, if anything, we should learn from his social media strategies. What Donald Trump figured out was A, how to be a character, how to be a personality, a persona that he could be consistent and that would be appealing to a core group of people that no one was speaking to. Mm -hmm. And he was very intentional, very thoughtful about that. Uh, and he is, he's, he's very successful in the way you're going to have to. The only way to battle that back is with similar but different approaches. I don't think you have to be to peddle hatred to be successful. Our interview with Governor Hickenlooper showed us that these politicians see the need to reach young people on our own terms, and to them, that means through social media. But they still have a hard time getting to us, even through social media, when there is so much tension between political parties. Because people are going to comment angry things and like hate and like that negativity. I don't want to see that every single day of my life. We are turned off by the fighting and are attracted to people and things that are stable and consistent that we can hold on to. 
And yes, sometimes the things we hold on to are just short tidbits of information we see on social media. But at the end of the day, I don't think that the way we receive news is what causes our reluctance to vote. It seems like the apathy comes from the massive amounts of bad news we see on our screens every day. Maybe we don't follow the most important issues or keep up with the newest politicians as closely as we could, but many of us still recognize the importance of voting. If you don't vote, you're automatically giving up the right. I know some people think that not voting is an act of rebellion, but it's more of an act of surrender than anything. Yes, I will be voting, and I hope that something better can happen than what has been going on. I think it's important because, especially if you want things to change, you can't really do nothing and, like, complain about it. I have not voted before, but I will be voting in the next presidential election. This is, like, the prime time moment for more youth to be involved because this is the most diverse Congress that we've ever had, ever. In the end, though, it's tough to get our hopes up and vote at a time when our world seems to be falling apart. Our political leaders are more divided than ever. The immigration crisis is getting worse with no end in sight. Mass shootings have become the new norm. There were 340 in the U.S. in 2018, and as of August 5th, there have already been 255 this year, according to the Gun Violence Archive a nonprofit that tracks shootings in the U.S. Oh, and our climate is absolutely down the drain. Politicians can't even agree on the existence of climate change. So any chance of strict policies being implemented that just might save our planet seems as far away as ever. So maybe we don't follow all the important news and keep up with day-to-day headlines, but we are educated enough to know that we are living in a time of chaos. And yet we don't acknowledge it enough, because maybe it's easier that way. All Mariel and I know is that we will vote, and many people in our generation will too. And we can be reached in many ways, social media included. But I think the world should know that it's not necessarily that our generation is uninformed, it's more this overwhelming sense that no matter what we do or who we vote for, they might not actually have the power to save us or make decisions that will. Because what we see today and the way politicians are handling some of our country's biggest problems is disappointing. Through all of these interviews and all the research we've conducted to put together this episode, we've ultimately concluded that the way we receive news, whether through social media or not, isn't really affecting our willingness to vote as much as we thought it was. No, it's the news we're receiving that makes it seem like voting just isn't enough. As a generation, we have so much potential, and we are filled with optimists and problem solvers. And we are so much more aware than past generations. But we are also realists, and the reality is that if we don't start communicating and compromising with each other on certain things, then we might be doomed. All we're looking for is something to hope for. That's really the solution. We are Generation Z. We were born in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, and we've grown up with the most advanced technology at our fingertips. News sources claim that we're constantly anxious and depressed, and we've been left with problems that seem too big for us to solve. The American Psychological Association states that 75% of Gen Zers are most stressed about mass shootings when it comes to current events. Pew Research says that from 2007 to 2017, the number of U.S. teens suffering from depression increased 59%. When we are surrounded by people saying we are doomed because of the trends of our country and the current mental health state of our generation, we don't always feel confident in the future. But we are smart and bright, and we have the power to collaborate and influence others through technology. More than a quarter of 16 to 19-year-olds are currently volunteering, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
and 60% of Generation Z want jobs that have social impact, compared to 31% of millennials. We have all the information we could ever wish for at our fingertips, and if we can find a way to synthesize that information into workable solutions, we can change the world. As Pew Research says, Gen Z as a whole is diverse and on track to be the most well-educated generation yet. As a generation, we believe that with the technology and diversity in our globe, we now have the ability to put our heads together and come up with ideas and solutions. And within that, we find hope. And that's the Gen Z Tea with Jane Merrill and Mariel Gorsuch. We hope you didn't burn yourself. This episode was produced by Eleanor Bennett. Big thanks to our executive producer, Cami Turwell. Music by Poddington Bear. And special thanks to Gaia Creative for our beautiful logo. Gen ZT is a production of Aspen Public Radio. Hey, I'm Aspen Public Radio reporter Alex Hager, and thanks for listening to our new podcast, Gen ZT. We'd love to hear what you think. Post a comment on social media or drop us a line at APR at AspenPublicRadio.org. Your membership is what makes new stories like this possible. We appreciate your support to help us grow. Not a member? Go to AspenPublicRadio.org today. Thank you.